Lord, your word tells us that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, today we lift our voices and we just worship you. We thank you for your presence here. That We thank you that in spite of our circumstances, regardless of our situations and the challenges that we face, we're a blessed people with a faithful God. There's no situation that's too difficult for you. There's nothing that you're not able to do. Lord, we just open our hearts to receive from you today whatever it is that you have for us, the word that you desire. Lord, I pray that it would draw us closer to you, Lord God. I pray that you would just burn away those things that don't belong in our lives, that your word would speak clearly. today, if you've been with us over the last few weeks or in the summer at all, you know that we've been in a sermon series on the book of James, and this is the, uh, the ninth part of that series over the last ten weeks, and, and God's been speaking and doing a lot of things. We've been reading through the book of James together, studying it in depth, and uh, it's just been really, really good. It's challenged me as I have uh, prepared the messages and shared them with you, and today um, we're excited uh, because Pastor Hannah Nelson is going to be sharing the message with us from the first part of James chapter 5. And uh, there was a point yesterday as we were coming back from Orlando where it didn't look like the, the flight was going to happen. It didn't look like we were going to make it here. And I was, I was bummed because I've, I have been looking forward to for several weeks hearing Pastor Hannah share with us uh, from the book of James and what God has laid on her heart from this passage. And um, I just wanted to... to uh, to share with you, some of you interact with Hannah and know her well. She has worked with our teenagers and our youth ministry and all that kind of stuff. Others of you, maybe you, you don't know her. You're not very familiar with her. But uh, since last fall, Hannah has come on board with our team here on staff at, at New Life and has been working with our youth ministry and done a phenomenal job with our teenagers and really helped our youth group to go uh, to the next level. We're having consistent weekly youth group meetings. Our camp uh, attendance, our, our uh, convention at attendance last year have all been up, increased, and she's doing an incredible job uh, ministering to the teenagers of our church and the teenagers here in Laramie. And um, and really, really excited about what she's doing in that area. And today she's not just here, uh, just as, as the youth pastor, and so everyone over 18 can just tune, tune out and, and uh, not pay attention because this is for the teenagers. Not at all. Um, Hannah is, is an incredible young lady that has prepared herself from a young age for the call of God that he's placed on her life and prepared herself as a, as a minister of the Assemblies of God. And uh, she's an incredible ministry that she is doing uh, it just so happens to be with our teenagers right now, but I just believe that she's got a passion and enthusiasm and the call of God in her life, and it's going to be evident today as she shares the word and challenges us. So I, I encourage you, uh, take out your pen and your notepad to write down some notes and, uh, and be ready because it's going to be good. She really did an incredible job our first service. We're excited to, for her to share with you this service as well. So will you put your hands together and welcome her to come and share with us this morning. 
just told me fire emojis. I don't know if that means I'm on fire or if I'm going to bring the fire, but we'll just see. Something, something to be excited for, I suppose. So yes, I'm Hannah, and today we're going to be reading out of James 5, verses 7 through 12. If you want to flip open there, uh, we'll be there the whole time, so you can just keep a finger in it. Uh, just a quick recap. So we've been going through James, and James was written by a guy named... James. There you go. Yes, you're awake. I can tell. And it was written to a group of believers who were actually Jewish converts, right? And they were scattered throughout all of the Roman Empire at this time, and they were facing an incredible amount of persecution. What is persecution, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Um, it is when you face hostility or abuse because of your faith, right? So because they were professing Jesus, they were being put in prison and being flogged and killed a lot of times. Um, we learned a lot about that last week from Pastor Matt. And it's actually uh, a really interesting book because we can look through it and see that these believers were struggling to align their beliefs and their actions and their words all together, right? And they were wrestling with pride and division and other outside sources of trouble and hardship as well. Um, so bear that in mind, we're going we're gonna to read the passage, we're going to read it all the way through, and then we'll go back and find, or look at individual verses. So starting in verse 7, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the, the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another's brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I really love this passage because it's written for a very, very specific reason. And that is to encourage these persecuted believers. So way back in like week one or two, Pastor Matt talked about how James is a really hard book to read, but it's also really encouraging. And the, the encouragement that he brings is applicable to all types of hardship, you know. But in order to fully understand this passage, we just need to know that it was specifically written to believers who are facing persecution. So just want to premise that. Now we'll actually, we'll get into the meat of it. So we're actually going to work backwards and start in verse 12. And it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Wow, I think I skipped that the first time around. Surprise! It's good. So, yes. So this is a really awesome verse, um, and it talks about oaths. And it's actually, James is making a reference to Jesus and speaking from the Sermon on the Mount. We've kind of talked about that. James references a lot of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I want to go back and read Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, "All Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by the... Uh, Goodness. 
either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. This all sounds really familiar because we just read it in James. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So James is referencing Jesus, and Jesus is actually referencing the Levitical law way back in the ye olde days of the Jews, right? Remember Moses and the, the big fire on the mountain and stuff like that? So that, that original commandment was, do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? We've, we've all heard the Ten Commandments, yes? Yeah. I hope so. Okay. We've all heard the Ten Commandments, and we've all heard this. And usually it's like, like we think of it like you're not supposed to say, oh, my goodness, right? <laughs> Except we, we know the word that we could have. You're not supposed to say um, But really, if you look at the context of do not take the Lord's name in vain, and you really, like, look at what it's saying, what it really means is that back then, people would make promises, and they would make vows, and they would say, I swear this in God's name, right? And then they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So they were essentially trying to add credibility to themselves using God's name. And they, essentially, they were just walking all over God's name and disrespecting it because they were using it to to build up their integrity when there really was nothing there. And so Jesus recognized this, right? And he said, it's better just to not make oaths at all mm -hmm. because if you're going to tread all over my holy name with your, you know, lightweight words, then you may as well just not do it, right? Makes sense. James takes it a step further even, and he says, if you make an oath, you'll be condemned, right? It seems a little extreme at first, but you have to understand the heart behind James. And really, what he's done the entire book is he gets right to the heart of the issue, right? And he sees that when we take oaths and we try to add to our, when we try to add to our credibility with God's name, it's really coming from a place of pride in our heart. So imagine, I gotta find my notes. So imagine that you're trying to add to your godliness with your words, with your human words, right? So we're trying to simulate God's holiness with human wisdom. So like if we look at ourselves and we say, wow, I'm so amazing with my words that I can compete with the God of the universe. <laughs> now you may want to reevaluate that because that statement right there just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in my brain. Yes, so it's a position of pride. And then when you also think that it comes from believing that we're able to step out of God's natural law, that what someone sows they reap, that we, we, we can't just operate out of that, right? So if you imagine trustworthy people do things that make them trustworthy so people will trust them, right? People that aren't trustworthy aren't trusted by people. So when you try to take your words and make yourself trustworthy, even though you're not, you're really trying to say, well, I don't need God's natural law to govern me because I can fix it with what I say. And that's a really, really <coughs> proud thing to say because essentially you're setting yourself up next to God and you're making, him, you're making yourself equal with him. Does everybody follow that train of thought? It makes sense? So 
one question is, is the Bible, therefore, prohibiting all types of oaths? No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> you know, like the ones you have to say in court, like, yes, right hand on the Bible, whatever. <coughs> Again, you have to go to why was this passage written? And this passage was written to get believers to examine their hearts and say, wow, I'm dishonoring my God with the words that I say. And so James challenges us to reevaluate the posture of our hearts, right? And so if, you, if, you're, if you're hearing me say this and you're like, wow, I've been doing this, it's okay because all you have to do is say, Jesus, I have this pride in my heart and I'm sorry I've screwed it up, right? And as soon as we confess our sins, it puts us in a place of humility, right? And already then healing starts to take place. And it's a really incredible thing because Jesus is so patient with us in our pride. You know, if at every moment we showed pride, God was like, no, we would, we would not be in good hands. I would not be in good hands, let me tell you. So you should take it to Jesus and get sorted. But if you're looking at me like Hannah, I don't make oaths and I don't take my God's name in vain and my heart is fine, thank you, right? That's good for you, but like that's amazing, praise God. I would still encourage you to examine your heart, to, to really take a deep look. Are your business practices 100% ethical? Do you keep the entirety of your word and not just like nine-tenths of it, right? Are you trying to puff up your integrity with your words? Or are you really just relying on the fact that you know Jesus and Jesus has made you an awesome human? Like, is that good enough? You know, and really, really examine yourself and take it to Jesus because he wants to make you like him. But whatever you do, you should do it out of the correct posture in your heart. Because the way that your heart is situated, and I'm not meaning like the muscle in there, like if it's turn or whatever. No, but if you are relating to God in the proper way, then it enables us to relate to people in the proper way, right? And then as James tells us earlier in the passage, it enables us to relate to persecution in a way that will help us endure it, right? So if we, we go back to verse 10, James says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So the posture of your heart is key to enduring persecution effectively. So I want to talk about three dudes in the Bible. Everybody say three dudes. Three dudes. All right. Three dudes in the Bible that <clears throat> faced persecution really well, right? So the first guy, his name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a cool dude. He was the emo of the Bible. He's actually called the weeping prophet. I think he was named that by someone who is not a millennial. That's okay. No judgment. So if you don't know about Jeremiah, he was called to be a prophet at a very early age, right? And shortly thereafter, share, shortly after sharing his message, he was thrown into the stocks, 
Um, he was also abandoned by all of his family and friends. He was called a liar and humiliated by a false prophet in front of the nation's government. This sounds like a, a really fun life. I don't know about you. Uh, his life work, so he had a friend, Baruch, who he dictated all of his prophecies to, and Baruch wrote them down on a scroll, right? His entire life's work, the collection of those prophecies, was burned, so he had to redo them. Yeah, that's a rough day. Uh, he was thrown in prison, and then after being released from prison, he got ganged up on and thrown into a well full of mud and was left to die there, and they, they pulled him out, thankfully. But yeah, no, you can, you can kind of get a feel from that, that he, uh, he had some junk, just a little bit. But even through all of that, he still writes in chapter 20, verse 13 of the book of Jeremiah, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hands of evildoers. So Jeremiah was able to look in the face of all of this junk that he had faced, right? And say, my God is greater than that. And my God is still worthy to be praised, even though all of this stuff that I have to deal with right now really sucks. Right? So if you look at the context, so like the verses before and after this single verse, it's actually Jeremiah complaining to God, telling him, I wish I had never been born. Right? And that's okay. You know, sometimes those conversations have to happen with Jesus. And sometimes they're really productive because when we're open to God and we just let it all out, like that's when he can begin to work and to heal. Right? Complaining for the sake of complaining is not healthy. But... Real conversation with God can bring about healing, right? And so we see in Jeremiah that when he, he faced his persecution, he laid out his struggles before God. He was able to step back and say, wow, God, you are still worthy to be praised, which is incredible. The second guy, everybody say the second guy. Second guy. James mentioned him. It's Job. Job's a cool dude. He had a similar life full of hardship, and it was because the devil resented him, right? The, the book of Job tells us the devil resented him because of his devotion to God. And so Job faced some hardships. All of his animals died. And then all of his servants died. And then all of his children died. All in the span of like 12 hours. So that was like a rough day, guys. Uh, like a really rough day. And then eventually his wife and friends practically abandoned him. And they told him to just curse God and die, right? Loving, supportive family there. Some of you guys know what that's like. But Job didn't, you know? Like, there was some complaining and there was some angst, like 40 chapters of it. Uh, but after all of the dust settled, Job repented of his pride and was able to look at God in an entirely new light as the creator of the universe and as the sustainer and the restorer and the forgiver and all of this stuff. He was still good even in the midst of all of this stuff that Job had to endure. And he still didn't understand why, but he knew that God was still there and he was still sustaining him. Right, and the third guy, everybody say the third guy. Third guy. You guys are getting better, that's good. <laughs> growth, you've seen growth. The third guy, I hope you know him, his name was Jesus. And he, he, uh, he had some rough stuff happen to him, you know, like being hung on a torture tool and stuff. It's good. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think that this verse really sums up the other two as well. So they, in the midst of their trial and in the midst of their persecution, were able to look up and look past it and to see that God is still praiseworthy and he is still good and he is still faithful to his people, right? And that knowledge and that understanding of God's character is what enabled them and gave them the strength to move forward and push through, right? So the theme of all of these great men of faith is that they had names that all started with J. And the second thing, see, you guys got that a little better than first service. They were like silent. They were like, it's fine. <laughs> we, it's fine. So they were all able to face their persecution by first looking to God. And so James takes it another step, like he's so good at doing, and he says to us, right, to the believers facing persecution, that in order to stand firm and in order to stay strong, we can look to the second coming of Christ, right? So Job and Jeremiah were waiting for the first coming. They didn't, they, did, they weren't even thinking about a second. And of course, Jesus is Jesus, you know. But, but James encourages us like, hey, you can look forward to the coming of Christ because the day that Jesus returns is the day that all of creation is yearning for, right? So the book of Romans talks about like the earth is groaning and waiting for God to come and restore and renew his creation. And we get to be a part of that. And James says that we can endure because of that hope. And so I was, I was talking to a pastor and he's the pastor up in Hewlett. And uh, I won't say any names. You could probably Google him if you wanted. But anyway, uh, I, I was speaking to him about his aging congregation. And I want to say aging and not old because, you know, I want to be polite. I love you guys. So I was talking to him about his congregation and how he gets all of these requests from them that he should preach about, like, the end times and the rapture and the coming of Christ and all this stuff. And I'm like, why? Like, it's cool, and it's coming, and it's great, and it's exciting, but like, there's so much awesome stuff in the Bible that we can preach about that's not that. You know, I, I don't understand. But he looked at me, and it completely changed my, my mind and my heart toward, toward the older generation in the church. But he said that a lot of them, a lot of you, grew up in a time where that was the only thing to look forward to. You know, in the Depression and in war and the Cold War and all of this political tumult, right? The rapture and the coming of Christ and the renewal of the earth was the only good thing that you could see. And honestly, I think that it illustrates an incredible truth. You know, that in the Bible, the coming of Christ is known as the hope of glory, right? So the word hope means an eager expectation, like we're waiting for it. There's nothing eager about like laying on the floor like, God, my life sucks, right? Everything, like when you think of the word eager, you think of someone who's ready to go, like someone who's, who's in the blocks ready to take off, you know? They're eager and they're expecting, they're waiting for it, right? And not only are we waiting for it, but we're waiting for the glory of God. How incredible is that, that we get to see Christ come on the earth? And that's something to be excited about. And James says that it is this excitement, it is this eagerness and this expectation to see Christ that will keep 
us going beyond the immediate troubles and persecution that we're facing because of him. And so that leads really well into verse 7. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So we can be patient in the face of persecution, right? So we're all familiar with plants and how when you put a tomato in the ground, like the minute it touches the soil, like these big juicy red tomatoes don't just like pop out, right? I mean, that would be great, but that's not what happens. You have to wait, you have to water it, and it has to grow and put the flowers and, and do the, do, it has to go through the process, right? And so James is saying like in the same way that plants have to grow, persecution is a way that we grow, right? And we know that at the end of persecution, there will be heavenly reward. That's something that like is totally worth studying that I don't have time to go into today. But the heavenly reward and the blessings that come from persecution, which is a crazy thing to say, especially into a microphone. However, look it up. I'm not lying, I promise. But we know that as persecution grows and as it matures, it produces fruit. Right? And so that's what James is saying, is we can look forward to the growth in the fruit. And then he also, so he, he gives us this perspective, but he also kind of broadens it a little bit. And he says, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't grumble against one another, right? How many of you know that it's really easy to get at each other's throats when the pressures of life and stress and opposition and hangriness come against you? And for all of you who don't know, hangriness is the anger you experience when you're hungry. And let me tell you, I'm sure all of you and your spouses know that when you're hungry, bad things happen. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's okay. But we know that when we face these things, it's really, really easy to lash out at the people close to us. You know, and in the body of Christ, that happens to be you guys. James says that we're a family, though. So first of all, because we're a family, we're responsible to take care of each other, right? So he, that's why the judge is standing at the door. He's like, hey, you know better. Why are you doing this? But the second thing is that James reminds us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, right? It's not against each other. It's against the powers and the forces and the, like the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, right? Paul writes about that in Ephesians 6. That's what we're fighting against. And so really, we just need to redirect all of our angst, right, toward that. Not toward each other. Not toward our brothers and sisters. And so, I just want to sum up. We'll go back. Sum up. The posture of our heart is paramount to enduring persecution effectively. And the posture of our heart enables us to see past our immediate struggles and look to the incredible God that we serve and love. And we get to eagerly wait for his coming. Right? But in all honesty, like if, if I want to be 100% honest, 
personally, I have not experienced really any legitimate persecution, you know? I mean, I go to the university and I'll get the occasional like side eye and like the abstinence jokes, you know? But really, what, what is that? In America, we're shielded from a lot because of our freedoms, right? We don't experience a lot of the same hardship that our brothers and sisters in, in more hostile places in the earth uh, face. And so we're, we're at a really unique place in that we, we don't suffer for Jesus like a lot of people do. Now, if you are, I want to encourage you that, that Christ can, you can stand on Christ and you can find encouragement and strength in Christ, right? But for all the rest of us, I kind of just preached you a useless sermon. <laughs> so just fold up all of that encouragement stuff and save it in your back pocket for later, right? Because right now, it doesn't really have a bearing on what you're currently experiencing. So I want to do, I, what I do want to do is I want to give you something that you can take home and you can put into practice, right? So even though we aren't suffering, or we may not be suffering, I guess I can't say we aren't. Even though we may not be suffering for the cause of Christ, we have brothers and sisters who are, you know? Like, like the brothers and sisters in El Paso and Dayton just in the last two days. So what, what do we do? Hebrews 13 answers the question for us. It says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering, right? So how do we remember those who are suffering for the sake of Christ? We pray for them and we support them financially or with encouragement or whatever it takes. We remember them, right? So I want to give you, take out your pen and paper. Now is the important time to... I want to give you ways that you can pray for those who are being persecuted, right? So that way you can hang it up on your fridge and see it all the time and be remembered, be reminded, sorry, to pray for the persecuted church. So the first thing, pray for hope, joy, and strength to endure. Now, those things are really important because when we remember, right, when we recall the promises that God makes to us in his word, like those are the things that strengthen us. Those are the things that we can hang on to. Just like Jeremiah and Job and Jesus, they were able to look to the joy that was set before them, right? And the way that we do that is we're reminded of it in scripture so that, so that God would provide hope, joy, and strength for them to endure. The second thing is to pray for the families of those who are being persecuted. Now, a lot of the family members are also believers, but watching their family member being tortured or imprisoned or killed for Christ is probably not a fun experience. Um, causes a lot of worry and inner tumult, I'm sure. So they need prayer. But also, there's a lot of family members of these persecuted uh, believers who, are, who don't know the Lord. You know, in a, in a lot of the hostile countries, especially where there's Islam, the family members will disown uh, believers or family members who convert to Christianity. And so it's important for us to pray for them because they need an encounter with Jesus just as much as we do, just as much as our family members do. So we pray for the families of those who are being persecuted. The third thing 
is we pray with specificity. And this is really important in prayer. Um, yes. And there's a, an online source. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. And if you go on their website, they have newsletters and blogs. and They, they can send you mail or email or whatever you're into. And they give updates and prayer requests for believers all over the globe um, that need prayer. You know, and it's so important that those believers are prayed for, but it also makes it easier for us that they have a name and a face and that they live somewhere and they have two little kids, you know? So, so pray with specificity. And the fourth thing, the last thing, is that we want to pray for the persecutors themselves, right? So Jesus encourages us to love and pray for our enemies. And so... Because we want to be like Jesus, we want to pray that the pray that the persecutors would see the light of Jesus in the people that they're persecuting. That that would stand as a witness to them, and that it would result in a change of life, right? So, the reason why we do all of this, the whole big picture of like, not only why are we facing persecution, but why do we pray for those who are facing persecution, right? The big picture is that we would see the glory of God revealed on the earth through the preaching of the gospel. Because radical obedience to God and to God's word always results in persecution. Always. So just keep that in mind the next time that God asks you to do something. Be like, well, God, I may lose some friends and I may lose my job, but God, you're worth more than that to me. Right? Keep in mind that radical obedience always results in persecution. But the reason why we do this, the reason why we preach the gospel is so that we can come to know Christ on earth. And so that others can come to know Christ on earth. And for the brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, those who are suffering for the name of Christ, we want to partner with them and strengthen them. Because we're at a really incredible place to provide for a need that they can't for themselves. And so I just want to encourage you to remember that uh, as you move forward today. Stick that thing on your fridge or by your nightstand. And do pray because prayer makes a difference. Uh, so to end, I want to invite the ushers to come forward. And we're going to take the morning tithe and offering. It is Mission Sunday, which makes me really excited. Because this mission's offering goes directly to missionaries helping in these closed countries and in these persecuted places. Right, So I want to pray for the offering, and I also want to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And then, yeah. So, Father God, we thank you and praise you because you are good and because you are faithful and because you are always with us. Lord God, and we pray that as believers, as our brothers and sisters, and as your children are facing persecution for the hope and the love that they have in you, God, we pray that you would provide them with hope and joy and strength to endure. Lord God, that they would be able to stand strong in the face of opposition. God, that they wouldn't be fearful for their lives, Lord God, but that they would be completely and totally at peace under your covering. Lord God, and we pray for their families. Lord Jesus, that you would comfort them. God, that you would comfort them. Lord, that you would bring them hope. God, that you would bring them hope for your goodness, even in the midst of these difficult situations, Lord. And we pray for the families of those 
who do not believe, Lord God, that they would have mighty and miraculous encounters with you, Lord God, that they would come to know you in a real way, Lord God, and that they would be able to stand with their family members, God, and not against Jesus. And for our brothers and sisters in El Paso and in Dayton today, God, we just ask that you would, God, that you would comfort their hearts. Lord Jesus, that you would provide for needs that have arisen because of this persecution. Lord God, because of this tragedy. Lord God, and we want to pray for the shooters. God, that you would bless them. God, that they would be able to know who you are in a real and mighty way. Lord God, that they would be able to be healed and restored. God, that they would be able to be made new because we believe and we know that no one is too far from your reach. Lord God, that no one is too evil to be restored and no one is too hurt to be healed, Lord God. And we believe and we speak the love of Christ over their lives, knowing, God, that they are loved by you. Jesus, and I just ask that you would bless this offering, Lord God, that it would go to the work that you intended. Lord God, that you would multiply resources. Lord Jesus, that you would bless those who are in need because of it. Lord God, and I pray that all of this would go to advancing your kingdom and to making your name known among the nations. Lord God, and we thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for the work that you're preparing to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You guys put your hands together. I'm going to let Pastor Hannah know how much you can do sharing that word with us today. I can just tell you it's not easy to get up when you don't do it on a regular basis in front of a group of people and, and preach at all, and let alone when uh, you're in the middle of a sermon series and you just have to preach James chapter 5, not a passage that, that uh, you probably would pick and, uh, and, and, and want to, to uh, prepare a sermon from, but uh, Hannah did an incredible job uh, sharing a, a difficult passage of scripture, but an important one and uh, shared it in a powerful way. So we were at uh, General Council in Orlando this week. The World Missions Director uh, brought a compelling report on the suffering church to the delegates of the 2019 General Council and reminded us to pray for the suffering church and, and challenge us with the thought that, that blew my mind that there's more people that are suffering for the cause of Christ today than at any other point in the history of, of our world. There's more people that are suffering today, and we don't we don't see it. It's not a part of our lives because, like she said, it, it's rare that we're going to suffer anything other than relational, you know, consequences for our faith. Uh, but there's people around the world that are suffering, and this this quote was one that that he shared. I was trying to find it uh, during the first service and couldn't find it, so they didn't get it. This is just special, just for you. Uh, <laughs> He said this, success and suffering always go together. Mm -hmm. If you're successful without suffering, someone else suffered. Mm -hmm. And if you suffer without success, you're simply setting someone else up for success. And it's a powerful, a powerful thought. There's, there's, there's no suffering that happens without success, and there's no success that happens without suffering. And there's people around the world today, our brothers and sisters, that are suffering in ways that we don't have to face. And, 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 uh, that's why we support missions. That's why we believe that we can give and that we can go and that we can make a difference around the street and around the world. And so thank you for giving and thank you for, 
your prayers and continue to pray for the church in our world today.